find a coach, right? Mentors have been so instrumental to me on my journey. Uh, and now, you know, paying that back, being a coach, being a mentor for others has also been extremely rewarding. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I am your host, Devin Miller, the uh, serial entrepreneur that's also a uh, the CEO and uh, of uh, Miller IP Law, where we uh, help uh, startups and small businesses with patents and trademarks. And on uh, today's episode, we have another great journey to cover um, with James Creech. And uh, I will let him do a much better intro than I can do, but I'll give him a short one. Um, so he started his career more in ad tech and then some of... Uh, social media and representing influencers and uh, went along did that for a while and did some uh, paid video ads on YouTube and uh, kind of worked his way through up until where he's at today. And now he has a company with customers in over uh, 30 countries and I think in six continents and continues to hire and grow and everything. So um, with that much of an intro, welcome to the podcast, James. Thanks, Devin. That's perfect. Yeah. Happy to be here. Uh, give your listeners a little more context. I'm the found, co-founder and CEO of Paladin. We build influencer marketing tools for influencer agencies, talent managers, and creator networks to help them run better influencer campaigns. Everything from finding the right talent to managing those relationships and then reporting on activity across Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and TikTok. So if I were to summarize that, you make really cool tools that help pe or people in marketing to do uh, work with influencers. You got it. Yep. Building All software right. for influencer marketing. All right. Cool. So now that we've got that, what I always like to do on the podcast is to take now a, a couple steps back in your journey, right? Because it's not just where you're at today, but it's the journey that took you here. So maybe take us a couple steps back of what led up to where you're at today. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I went to USC for film production, business, and political science. And mm. after graduating, thought I was you know, all set to go work in corporate America. So I had packed my bags, ready to move to New York, uh, be a business consultant. And you know, I just had fallen into interning at this social media startup that was doing some interesting stuff in the advertising space and building some tools around it. And as I was getting ready to leave, they said, well, hey, you know, we know you have this whole consulting gig lined up, but why don't you stick around and, and kind of see this through? And I said, oh, come on, you know, we've, we've known about this for months and I'm uh, getting ready to graduate and leave and, and we've had this all worked out. And they said, well, let's, let's just go to lunch and we'll talk about it. And I said, okay, I'll keep an open mind. And long story short, they uh, convinced me to stay and kind of do the whole entrepreneurial thing, working in early stage companies. And so I haven't looked back ever since. I was at Channel Factory as uh, the fifth employee, helped grow the business. Uh, build out offices in Chicago, New York, and you know, grow the team, uh, grow the revenues significantly in the two and a half years I was there. After that, went and worked at a, a creator network called Bent Pixels that focused on uh, supporting social media influencers on a lot of the social platforms I mentioned. So we're helping them you know, grow their careers and work with brands. And at the time, 2014 to 2016, it was all manual, right? It was email, spreadsheets, uh, PowerPoint presentations, and so out of necessity, we just started building some tools initially to make our lives easier, right? Just to save time and, and uh, run better influencer campaigns. And then it got to a point where I kind of woke up one day and said, clearly, we're not the only ones struggling with these pain points. This mm. is what we should be focused on full time. So I teamed up with two business partners and we launched Paladin and the rest is history. So now if I jump back just a little bit, so you, sure. you started out, they, and they took you to lunch and I guess there's no such thing as a 
I guess you got a free lunch, but then you ended up sticking around for a while. But you That's decided right. to, hey, I'm going to go and do that. So you did that. And then the next step, sorry, remind me, the next step was that you after you worked with them for a while, then what was the next one? I worked for the creator network called Bent Pixels, which started out of Vegas, but I helped open the LA office. And I walked in and I was hired to be the vice president of operations. You know, and that was my background, being an operator. And I came into the company and within the first week, I said, company's got enough operators. You got a COO, a general manager, a team that's really capable. You know, we got all the infrastructure here for the LA office. Now what do I do? And I realized the business really needed growth. So that's when I started focusing on sales and business development with, you know, little to no background in that, which is, you know, probably as much of a blessing as it can be a curse, but just started, you know, learning as much as I could about the industry and building relationships and trying to find ways that could be helpful to people. And that, you know, led us to discover this need for software, not just internally, but for a whole emerging category that needed better influencer tools. So if you were to do that, and because I, so how did, was that just whoever rose their hand was the one that got volunteered to do it? Or how did you, because if you're in operations, and I think they're both great skill sets, but sure. they're, you know, a bit of a different skill set, sales and marketing and doing that kind of thing versus operations, operations, make sure that everybody's doing their most to do task management versus sales, you, you know, a bit more of a people person, get people to buy into your dream and, and go and land accounts. So how did you decide, hey, I'm going to make it uh, make that shift or make that change? And how did that go? Sure. Well, I think it was necessity, right? Necessity is the mother of all invention. And, you know, I walked into this business, I said, if I think I'm going to be an operator here, my days are numbered, right? <laughs> like, the, the company needs more help in other areas. And so that's what I got excited about. That's where I felt I could make an impact. And as kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, I wanted to do something new, I wanted to drive growth and innovation within the business. And, you know, the way I think about it today, like you said, the, the skill sets are both very valuable. And I still have very much process oriented and very much an operator mindset. But when building out our, our Paladin team, I found a very capable COO in, in our, my co-founder, Thomas. And the way I talk about what we do and, and the differences between our roles is, you know, Thomas thinks about Paladin present, right? As an operator, he makes sure the trains run on time. You know, we don't forget about anything. Nothing slips through the cracks. He's on top of the day to day. My goal and my role really as the CEO is to think about Paladin future, right? Where are we going? What is the strategy? What is the vision? How do we unite the team around that? How do we accelerate our trajectory? So, you know, there's a natural yin and yang there. There's a push and pull that leads us to better outcomes because we have this, these different frameworks, these different lenses that would, uh, through which we view the problems. No, I think that, that's certainly true. So now if I were to jump to jumping topics to an adjacent topic, just slightly sure. so, it made this switch. You're saying, okay, I'm going to go to sales. I'm going to go to marketing. I'm going to kind of make that. Mother's, in the, you know, the, or, you know, the, the creator of all, or necessity is creator invention. Um, so you did that and you decided, okay, in the process, you said, hey, I, I think when we talked before a little bit of on the, the pre, uh, pre you know, before the podcast and I talked for a few minutes, they said, you know, kind of at that point, when you jumped into it, a lot of it was, and maybe it still is today, done by pen and paper, you know, pens and, pen and paper, pencil, maybe an Excel spreadsheet, if you're really technological, and that's kind of about the uh, the extent of it. So then how did you say, okay, we, I'm going to figure out how to do these tools. Was it, you know, how did, because that almost seems like it's a programmer thing, right? Or software, or that kind of a background. So it almost seems like it's, hey, yet again. So you went from operations, kind of sales and marketing, and that did that by necessity, and almost kind of the same thing, necessity, hey, this is a, doing this by pen and paper, doing this by a spreadsheet is takes forever, not very efficient. 
leaves room for a lot of errors and things falling through the cracks. So then how did you say, coming up with the idea we need some tools, how did you actually figure out how to do the tools or how to make them or how to actually get that going? Sure. That's again where I'm very blessed to have uh, two technical co-founders. So in addition to Thomas, our COO being very operational and analytical and just understanding what makes a good product, how do we think through, you know, how to design this in the first place, our other co-founder and CTO, Ule, uh, is very much a gifted developer, right? Serial entrepreneur. Uh, he and I had worked together in the past. He was our CTO at Pixels. And so that was a really a strong initial partnership of, okay, here's what the market is saying. This is what customers are asking for. And then you know, this is the problem that we've now identified. Here's a potential solution. Let's stand up an MVP. Let's iterate on that. Let's get additional feedback, get some early testers and users, and then continue to evolve the product direction based so on what we're hearing. So was the people that you worked with, were they at the same company before you guys did your startup as far as, you know, they were, they were the other people in the company. Is that right? So I had worked with uh, Ole, certainly, yeah, at Ben Pixels, the company I was at before we left to, to launch Paladin. And Thomas and I had actually worked together even before that at Channel Factory, that ad tech company. I hired him. He moved down from Oregon and uh, built out our ad operations team. So he and I have known each other for years and years and uh, just got the band back together. And it was kind of the perfect uh, trio to launch the business. So so did, were you the one, did you come up with the, the idea and saying, hey, I, I'm working at, you know, uh, Ben Pixels. I need, I want, I need these tools. Or I want these tools. Was it ever thought or contemplated, hey, I'll do this within Ben Pixels or I'll just do this as a project or you just said, hey, this is something that I want to do. I don't think it fits within their framework. We're going to spin it out and do, the, do that ourselves or, and or was it you or was it somebody else on the team that said, hey, let's get this going? How did that kind of play out? So very much started as an internal project, right? Within Ben Pixels, we had a need for these tools. We were building them for our internal purposes, but it quickly got to a point where it was like, okay, this is licensable. This is a software product that others can, can use and see value in. And Ole and I campaigned for that hard, right? I mean, as anyone uh, who's very much invested in the, the software success, we wanted to grow the user base. We wanted it to drive more revenue. And, and you know, we were, we were thinking about it as a business. And initially there was, you know, resistance or other schools of thought within the business because we had other priorities, right? The business needed to grow as a media company. It needed to, you know, work with talent and, and uh, it needed to run campaigns and drive revenue in, in those various ways. And it just got to a point where, you know, we all believed in this, but it, it was very clear that we were running two different businesses, right? A software business has very different capital and operational needs than a media business does. And so that's when the idea came about to, okay, well, you know, let's spin this out. Let's run it as a separate entity. And we, what we did is essentially said, okay, well, we'll give up our Ben Pixels equity in exchange for the rights to this software IP. And we'll write you a check for the remaining balance. Cause you know, our, our shares wouldn't cover the whole thing, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll launch this separate entity. We'll run this as a standalone business and you can be a customer, right? Rather than having to finance the development, you can pay a much smaller licensing fee than a bunch of expensive engineer salaries. And that was a agreement that was, you know, uh, acceptable to everyone involved. So as partners, we worked it out and, uh, you know, spun everything out April 1st, 2016. Hmm. So you, so, the, and it sounded like, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth that, that that was a favor or an amicable, you know, departure saying, Hey, we, we agree. This is going to be a different entity or it's really a different business channel or a different thing. We, you know, some of the people that stayed at, uh, 
Ben Pixels are saying, hey, we, we want to focus on this. You guys are saying, hey, we want to focus on this. Let's make an amicable, you know, departure, you know, split. But then we'll still, a lot, you know, almost still have a lot of overlap in the sense that we'll be your customer. You may be our customer. We can still have a lot of synergy. Is that about right? Very much so, right? And I realize this is maybe a rare story. <laughs> it doesn't always work out that way. But it took six months, right, of negotiations and making sure everyone felt heard and that we landed on a structure that uh, everyone felt comfortable with. And I mean, they're still some of my closest friends, right? I, you know, have uh, great respect for them and the business they've built. They've, they've gone on to terrific success uh, since the spin out as well. I mean, it, it gave them a clear lane of focus and, you know, they've done terrific work in the gaming and comedy space, lifestyle creators on all these social platforms. They, you know, represent some of the biggest talent in, in the world. And they've also uh, started working very closely with a number of esports teams and just finding a lot more ability to, to laser in on that vision and, you know, likewise for us, we were able to hone in on the things that we were uniquely gifted at, and it just structured each business and each of the founding teams to focus on the opportunities that we were excited about, you know, still, still see those guys all the time. And, you know, Mike, the founder and CEO of Ben Pixel is a good friend and still shows up to beat me on the tennis courts from time to time. So we, we make a point to see each other. So... No, and I, I, that's a, a much better way to, to spin out a company than sometimes how it may ha work out otherwise if you get, hey, people have two different, two different ideas or do two different dreams or directions they want to take the company, and then you have much more of a falling out because people want to go two different ways. So I think that's a great way to spin it out. So, the one, or, so you, you spun it out, and I think it was April of 2016 or so yep. um, that you did that. And, you know, one thing that was, I assume would have been nice is you'd already been building these tools and had somewhat of a customer base, right? True. We had already found that product market fit, which in, you know, an early stage business, the first year, that's the hardest thing is just, is there a need? Are people willing to pay for this now? Okay. How do we scale that? So you're, you're right. We had done a lot of the hardest legwork up front. We had a product in market. We had, you know, a pain point identified that we could solve. And of course there was a lot to learn and experiment with from there. But we had a bit of a head start, which was a great, great uh, welcome advantage. No, and that, that's a great way to, any way you can get a head start on the company and, and, and be able to do that, I think is, is certainly advantageous. So you did finally, you got that head start, you spun it out. Was it all, you know, roses and everything from there? Was there still lessons to learn, still things to figure out, or how did that go? Yeah, you know, with any new business, there's a lot of growing pains in the first year. And one thing that we're hyper aware of, even to this day, is, you know, we have a big dependence on all the social platforms that we work with. And, you know, we've, we've always been a certified partner of YouTube. We've worked very closely as an API, preferred API partner for Facebook and Instagram, early to integrate Twitch, very much leaning into Twitter and TikTok. So with it, all of those platforms, right, you have to manage constantly changing API frameworks and, uh, you know, changing business practices and policies. And, you know, we've always strived to be a good actor and, and, you know, encourage uh, the, the right behavior in their ecosystems. And so uh, we have to be very responsive when things change quickly. Uh, and then, of course, in the first year, too, you know, you're, we were capitalized just by our in initial investment, right? So Thomas Ole and I put money into the business, and that was our runway. So we had to sell like crazy until we got to break even. And then from there, just reinvest all the proceeds back into the business. So we've grown organically, you know, as a bootstrap business, every time we hire a, a new engineer or a new seller is predicated on, okay, well, we can sign this new customer or we're making this bet, but we know it's going to have a return. Hmm. No, I, I, that sounds like it 
always plenty of things along. No matter how much you plan, you're always going to get into it and you're going to say, okay. And I, that's one that is the, probably the one note I hear between all startups, small businesses is hiring is always the, one of the harder things in the sense that, you know, no matter how much you thought you knew about hiring until you're actually in that seat and deciding, okay, do we have enough work to pull the trigger? Can we keep this person busy? We're going to have enough return. Is it a long enough runway to keep them busy? Is it going to be, you know, what's hard is you get a project and it's a two or three month project and say, okay, I can hire someone, but unless I have more after that, what, you know, it's not fair to bring them on. And then, you know, always finding that person with the right fit, not only the skill set, but fits a company. So I think that's probably a commonality here within a lot of, a lot of people or a lot yeah. of startups and small businesses. So now you take, you, you finally got it spun out. You've got some of the things figured out. You're starting to grow. And now let's fast forward back up to today. Um, where, where do you see the next six months to a year taking here? What's, what's the trajectory in the runway? Sure. Well, constantly improving and iterating on the platform based on that market and customer feedback, right? Everything we do is driven by what's needed, what, what's going to improve the tools for our, our customers. Uh, and so earlier this year, that meant supporting TikTok. Uh, it's also meant, you know, rolling out content approval workflows, just any, any sort of feature set that's going to improve the usability and the experience and the value that our customers receive. Uh, earlier this year, we launched a brand new product called Measure Studio, which we're thrilled about, right? We, we saw this need about uh, end of last year where there was, you know, you know this, this uh, trend of social publishers, people who create, owned and operated content for social distribution on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, et cetera. And mm -hmm. so we, we launched um, Measure Studio as a tool to benchmark content performance and really understand what's working, what's not working, right? So if I... Yeah, that, and you, you. This is just maybe a, a slight a side note, but you say you know you're continually iterate, continuing to get customer feedback, see what works, what doesn't. You know, I'm not a, I'm not heavy into social media. I know, I know what it is. I, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I have a Facebook, although about, it seems like about the only time I got on Facebook is to debate politics, which is a whole different thing. <laughs> but, um, so you know, but it seems like there's a lot of different platforms out there, and you listed a few. And, I, and I'm not an expert, but you have Snapchat, you have Twitch, you have instagram you have facebook you have youtube and i'm sure there's a whole bunch that i don't even know that i because i bought it or i don't know i don't follow it as much but how do you decide do you try and be you know one size fits all to everybody do you go for every platform do you decide hey this is where that we put our focus on and how do you decide when there's an up-and-coming platform if it's one that you put a whole bunch of time and resources on betting on the come or you're saying we're going to wait and see or how do you make those decisions I'd say we're somewhere in the middle, right? That's always a calculus every you know, technology business working in social media and influence marketing has to make is, do you, does it make sense to be early to a new platform or should you hold back and wait to see if it has traction and staying power, right? There's countless examples of influencer uh, platforms or social platforms that haven't gone the distance, right? Vine is maybe one of the, the hallmark examples, even after the Twitter acquisition just couldn't really figure out the model that made it make sense. Mm. Uh, you know, even with TikTok, we waited a long time. And, and I'll be honest, in the early days, uh, we saw a lot of spend propping it up from ByteDance, the parent company in China. And we had, you know, looked reflected back on Musical.ly. We, we had not supported Musical.ly in the past. And it had reached a bit of a plateau in terms of audience user base. Uh, and so, you know, I think we, we just wait until there's such an overwhelming demand for it from our customers that we absolutely want to support it, right? We get requests for things all the time. You know, if, we're, if we wanted to attract more Russian customers, it would be essential we support VK. If we wanted to do more work in Korea, we probably need to integrate Line at some point, 
we're keeping an eye on Zen right now because it's really interesting in the you know short form content space as a a, a ten cents you know competitor to TikTok. Uh, Fireworks doing some interesting things. There's a whole host of uh, new social platforms. A whole bunch that I didn't even, never even knew existed. So yeah, you're right? well, well ahead of the curve that I am. Sure, and th- and that's what we have to do, right? We have to stay on top of it in, in each segment, right? It, you you think about like we're doing a lot more work in gaming now. We were early to Twitch, but now we're getting asked for Mixer and, and caffeine, and so you know we're we're always keeping an eye on it. But for us, it really is okay. Will this super serve all or or a vast majority of our customer base, or is it really kind of niche and specific to one customer segment? If that's the case, we're probably going to wait and see a little bit longer until it's the overwhelming demand that we just can't live without it. Hmm. So and I think that's very insightful and helpful. So one other question, I always, I always say one, I should always just stop saying one more question because I always have a whole bunch more than just one. <laughs> um, but you take the, so you build it up, you figure out which ones work and which ones don't work. How do you get that client feedback? I mean, are they emailing you and saying, do you have this or we want this? Or are you reaching out to them and actively asking what they want? Because, you know, that's always, for a lot of startups and small businesses, even big businesses, it's hard to get the client feedback or the customer feedback as to what they want. And they know what they want, but either they don't tell you or it's hard to get it out of them or articulate it or make that connection. So how do you go about getting that customer feedback? Yeah, it's all of the above, right? There is no substitute for talking to your customers. And we do that in every channel possible. It's, you know, it was live meetings, certainly before coronavirus, when we were still in front of a lot of customers, it was going to events and conferences. It certainly is email, uh, phone calls, Zoom, you know, Google Meet, etc. Uh, they can submit queries to our customer success team directly through the platform. Uh, we have an integration that allows us to collect that types of, of uh, requests and feedback. And, you know, it's, it's also not just looking at current customers. We think a lot about our future customers, right? I think that's something that, you know, I do a lot of advising and I, I coach a number of early stage companies and entrepreneurs, and I try to encourage them to think not just about your current customer base, because yes, you want to keep them happy and maintain those relationships, but you also have to think about, okay, what are the deals that we lost last quarter and why is that, right? What are the, what are the future customers that we would like to attract and what are we missing to go after them today? Who are we not thinking about and who have we not approached for this product? They could be a natural fit, but we need to build out XYZ. So, you know, that's another exercise that we go through on the sales and business development side, in addition to the account management and customer success side. No, I think that's good. I think that's insightful. So I said that's, and it's almost across every industry. It's just, you have to figure out the ways that you can engage your customer and get feedback because it's invaluable and it helps you stay ahead of the curve and makes you responsive and everything else. And yet it's one that one people oftentimes just don't do. And they think, Oh, I, I know what I'm talking about, or I know what's best or I'll pick it. And sometimes you're right. And sometimes you're wrong, but if you're not serving the customers, they're not going to stick with you very long. So I think that's exactly. certainly something worth uh, to take note of. So, so as we start to get towards the end of the podcast and always more things to talk about than I ever have time to, but I always have two questions at the end of the podcast that I like to ask. So we'll ask those now. So first question is, is what was the worst business decision you ever made? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, you know, I, I think the most instructive one that we made early on was we went wide, right? And, and what I mean by that is in thinking about building our initial product, we thought about, okay, what are all the solutions we need to build for this customer segment? We need influencer discovery tools to help people find social influencers. We need a creator CRM where you can store 
uh, creator details and contracts. We need a payments engine. We need, uh, you know, we had rights management tools back in the day. We built a, a fan messaging service that you could text your, uh, your influencers and your fans. Uh, we wanted to build campaign management reporting tools. It was too much, right? We, we just cast a wide net because we thought, okay, well, if a customer doesn't want one product, we can at least have something else in the toolkit that they'll be interested in and that lets us sell more. Well, in hindsight, we really should have gone deep, right? We should have said, okay, we are the leader in pick one, influencer discovery, right? We nail that across the board. Here's why. And that's, again, advice that I give to the startups that I work with and, and coach. It's, you know, nail one thing, be known for that, build your identity around it. And then it's very easy to expand to those adjacent, you know, sections. You're going to hear about it all the time from your customers who are going to say, hey, I'm going to be willing to pay more or, you know, you'll, you'll miss a deal and they would have signed up if you had XYZ features that's when you need to start building out those, that additional feature set. You know, we, we went wide just because we had come from this space. We, we thought we knew all the tools that we should build and it was attractive to run after that. But in hindsight, bad business decision is, um, is doing that when you have an opportunity to really go deep in something, become an expert, build the leading product for that, and then expand. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of wisdom. In that. But there's always that temptation, right? Especially... And I come from more of the technology side, but I, I, on that, I relate very well in the sense that, you know, what we call feature creep, and you just want to add one more feature. And if it's an app, you just want to have one more thing. And, you know, I always like, I don't never love the minimally viable product in the sense I always look at that as, that almost sounds like it's, we're going to put out the crappiest product we can as quick as we can. But I think there is a sweet spot where you're saying, let's see what we actually, what our focus is, what we want to build, make the best product we can within that vertical, within that industry. And then when we nail that, let's expand out as opposed to let's try it out of the shoot, be the best or, you know, end all be all to everybody. And you usually end up missing the mark and you're not good at any one thing rather than getting good at something and building it out. So I think that's a great mistake to learn from. So, okay. The second question I have is, so talking to you as somebody that's in startups or small businesses, just got started or wanting to get started, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Hmm. I would say find a coach, right? Mentors have been so instrumental to me on my journey. Uh, and now, you know, paying that back, being a coach, being a mentor for others has also been extremely rewarding and helped round out some of the things that, uh, you know, maybe I didn't know about myself or, or building out a new skill set. So finding a coach really helps you, A, build in an accountability mechanism. So, you know, you can take a step back you know, see the forest for the trees and, and think through, okay, what do I need to accomplish this year, this quarter, this month, this week, right back into, okay, what are the most important things? How am I pursuing them? And then also, you know, identify your weaknesses. And, you know, I'm a big fan of don't try to fix your weaknesses, be very aware of them and find people and processes that, that, you know, complement that and, and account for it so that you can lean even more heavily into your strengths. So, Having coaches and mentors has absolutely been fundamentally foundational for me and my success. And I, I strongly encourage other entrepreneurs to find those people in your corner, uh, lean on them, you know, for resources and advice, seek that out, not, you know, learn ev from every uh, avenue you can, whether that's books, podcasts, uh, you know, real life experience, et cetera, but, but also find those people who've been through it and learn from their lessons, learn from their stories. So you don't make the same mistakes. No, I think mean, that's great. And I think that 
finding uh, again sometimes people well, i don't know anybody in this and i don't know what it meant then I, th I like your suggestion then let's find a podcast about it or let's find a book about it or mentors don't always have to be in an, and if you can find an individual great they're, they're always helpful but exactly. find someone that you can find and you know one i listen to other pod you know i do this podcast but i listen to other podcasts that are on the law and i i get a whole bunch of ideas and things to think about and work on and, and contemplate that i otherwise wouldn't and it's not even yeah. to have a physical mentor but even just having that you know that other those other sources of information is always incredibly helpful so so now if people want to reach out to you they want to be an influencer they want to help with their be or get help with managing their influencers they want to get involved they want to invest they want to be a customer or anything else what's the best way to reach out to you if you're interested in influencer marketing software check us out uh paladin is paladinsoftware.com that's p-a-l-a-d-i-n paladinsoftware.com and then measure studio our tool for social publishers creators brands studios broadcasters anyone who's trying to learn from their social content, make better content and help it succeed. That link is measure.studio. Uh, and then if you're interested just to connect with me and, and learn a little bit more, I'm happy to chat. You know, I'm on LinkedIn, J-L Creech, C-R-E-E-C-H. Uh, you can also listen to my podcast. I've been hosting a podcast for the past five years called All Things Video, where I feature interviews with other entrepreneurs, uh, particularly those in the digital media space, just highlighting their, their experience, their journeys. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, if you're interested in, you know, learning about the advisory work or the coaching work that I do, find me on LinkedIn and, uh, would love to have a conversation. All right. Well, all sorts of ways to connect and all sorts of ways to get involved. So appreciate you sharing that. So well, appreciate you coming on, sharing your journey. It's a, it's a fun and interesting one. And it's always cool. It's always enjoyable to see all the different journeys that people take and everybody's journey is different. And yet there's a lot of fun and commonalities between the different journeys. So thank you for coming on, James. Um, for those of you that are wanting to or that are in love to come on the show, want to be a, a guest on the show, feel free to apply at inventivejourney.com and we'd love to hear your journey. Um, don't forget to, if you're a listener, to subscribe uh, on any of the channels so that you can uh, hear any of the new episodes that come out. And if you're needing any help with uh, patents or trademarks, if you're a startup or small business, make sure to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Thanks again, James, for coming on. It's been fun to hear about your journey. I wish you the best journey and hope that the, the next, uh, next phase of your journey is as successful as the last. Thanks so much, Devin.